Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host as always, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. This episode's guest is Jim Kilbasso of Total Performance Training Center and of the International Youth and Conditioning Association, the IOICA. Jim is the current director of the Total Performance Training Center in Wixom, Michigan, where he still trains athletes every day, and he is the current president of the IYCA. Jim has worked with thousands of athletes at all levels of competition, from youth, high school, national, collegiate, and Olympic level, as well as athletes in the NFL, NBA, MLB, and the NHL. Jim went to Michigan State University to receive his Bachelor's in Exercise Science and received his Master's in Kinesiology from the University of Michigan. Jim was the Strength and Conditioning Coach at the University of Detroit Mercy from 1996 to 2002 and earned the distinction of the NSCA Strength and Conditioning Professional of the Year for the Midwestern Collegiate Conference, now the Horizon League, back in 1998. Jim has written three books, produced multiple training videos, and authored numerous articles. Jim's speed program, Ultimate Speed Development, has been used all over the world, and his book, Ultimate Speed and Agility, is considered by many to be the most practical speed mechanics and programming book on the market. Jim also wrote the Certified Speed and Agility Specialist Certification Curriculum for the IOICA. On this episode, Jim and I discussed many, many topics, including Jim's background, Jim's professional and personal influences, the importance of balancing his role as a father and husband with his role as a coach. Jim speaks about his training system. Jim speaks about how much of an influence coaches like Albert Meal and Johnny Parker have been on him. Jim walks us through a long-term athletic development process within his training system how practical training is the new functional training, how Jim became the president of the IYCA and what is his vision for the IYCA going forward. Jim shares the biggest lessons he has learned so far in his career and life. Jim gives the listeners his top advice and resources. And if Jim could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who would Jim invite and why? Guys, this was an absolutely outstanding episode with Jim and I hope you really, really enjoy it. Okay, Coach uh, Jim Kilbasso, it is an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you come on to the All Things Strength and Wellness podcast. Just for the listeners who may not be too familiar with who you are, Jim, which I would imagine would be very few listeners, uh, just for listening to your background. Well, first of all, thrilled to be here, Robbie. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, when you when you sent me the message to, to come on, I was pretty excited. So um, should be fun. Should be a fun interview. Um a little bit about me. I am now the president of the IYCA, the International Youth Conditioning Association. Um, I started out my career in strength and conditioning as a college strength and conditioning coach, and uh, I've been running a private facility since 2002, which makes me kind of old, but it also uh, means that we've had some success through the years of running a, a private place here in in Metro Detroit in Michigan. Um you know, I'm sure that we'll talk a little bit more about my background as we go, but that's kind of the skinny of it. 
you're you're from Michigan, but you're not from where you're living now. You're from uh, what was it? Okomis? Well, how did you pronounce That's it? That's pretty good. Okomis. It's uh, Okomis. Okomis is named after Okemis. Chief Okomis, who was a uh, was an Indian chief that lived there for a long time. Wow. Little... Well, the only the only real Indian know is uh, Circumse. Is it Circumse? That's the famous one. Tecumseh. That... Yeah, yeah. Tecumseh. Yeah, Tecumseh. Because there's a statue of him, isn't there, like in some U.S. military base? Oh, I'm sure there is. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, actually, my U.S. history, in terms of like, say, yeah, uh, I know we're digressing you already, which is pretty That's common perfect. in my pretty common in my podcast, but we're we're only a few minutes in. But because uh, I know Chris Corfus, for instance, he's big into history, and a few other guys are big into like Dan Faf, big into history. So I, uh, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but I'm big into U.S. history. So like, I can name all your presidents back to back and all that. And like, wow. I, I love watching like Ken Burns, the Civil War, and all the you know uh, the obviously the War of Independence and all the, the founding fathers and stuff. Yeah, it's an interesting country, America. You know, so is Ireland. It though. is, it is fascinating. Oh, if anybody is. gets if anybody gets to you know visit the Washington D.C. area and see some things, you know, it's it's just amazing all the yeah, all the history, history that's here. Yeah. That's, yeah. What, that's one well, of my goals. I mean, you're over in Europe and uh, and in Ireland, and there's thousands of years of history over there, though. So don't poo-poo that. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And just for any listeners, I would say don't confuse Ireland with the U.K. You'll get into trouble. Uh, absolutely, I, I, I did not. I did not mean to lump you guys in together by any stretch of the Oh no, you didn't. You didn't. I'm just saying. Okay. I had to say so many people because uh, whenever I interview people, they're always like, uh, oh, "I'll be over in the UK," and you know, at the end of the year, and I'm like, "I'm kind of a head home, so That's like me saying. That's, that, that, that's like me saying, to you, "Oh, Jim, I'm up in Toronto in November," and you'd be like, "Yeah, so that's time." Yeah, have fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's good. we're two separate countries. Anyway, yeah. Jim. Uh, yeah, so that's a little bit of your background. Uh, from listening to, again, a few podcast interviews with you and other ones, so the facility you're at since 2002, you were saying, like, is, is it like it was or is, like, has, like, the largest turf area in, in like, in, is, was that in the country or in the state? Um, we think it is. I We can't find a bigger space anywhere. It's uh, it's over 350,000 square feet under one roof. Um and then we've got, I think, seven different locations that we manage. Um, our training center is in one is in one main facility, though, and uh, it's it's kind of a, a a pretty big business of indoor turf space. The main business uh, that that the company kind of goes on is renting space. So they've got these huge soccer indoor soccer fields um, that can be used for pretty much any sport. And um, up in Michigan between November and May every year, you're, you pretty much want to be indoors, at least most of the time. So there's a premium on the indoor space and it's very expensive to run. I kind of liken it to the sports performance business that everybody thinks it looks really cool until you have to run it and it, you realize, oh, this is not as easy as, as yeah. we thought it was going to be. And that's why places go out of business. But, uh, yeah, it's a massive facility. So just say that you said 350 thousand square feet. I did. Fucking hell! That, uh, <laughs> I, I I would be surprised. Like, because Mike Boyles is like twenty five thousand square feet, and that's a big ass facility. Like, so fucking hell, that's big. Uh, Jim, so just continuing on with your background. Um, again, just from listening to some of the podcasts I said to you before offline, maybe just going a little bit into like why you got into strength and conditioning. Um, I, I, you know, I heard in one of the podcasts, it was on the Parallel one again about how you got your first gym set and you're doing curls like in the van on the way home and then you're you were talking about how your sister got you into a bit of dancing and then how you kind of came across your first mentor then as an intern so 
maybe uh, get into that. And I suppose that's probably going to dive a little into the second question, which, which is about influences. But maybe just get a little more into that background piece. Uh, also, when you started to uh, you trained that Japanese basketball player, and you got that uh, job then at University of Trujillo. And maybe just delve a little bit into that background, because I, I found that story very, very uh, interesting, man. I think it'd be great for the listeners. And then we can get into maybe more about your influences in terms of mentors you've had. Well, you pretty much summed it all up right there, so do I even need to, to <laughs> what, do it? <laughs> what have I got left? Yeah, I, I've got nothing now. You ruined it. Um, so I got into what was not called strength and conditioning, but into this whole business back in, it would have been in the mid to late 80s and I was buying my friend some muscle magazines. I think it was like Flex and uh, Muscle and Fitness because he he had a little weight set and loved doing curls and showing off his biceps even though he was skinny. And so we, the rest of us, we all just thought it was a joke. So we were buying him muscle magazines for Christmas as, you know, thinking like we'd make fun of him a little bit. Well, they were sitting in my room and I started skimming through them and started reading these articles and I was like, Dang, this is this is kind of some cool stuff. So I ended up not giving him all the magazines and keeping at least one of them for myself, I believe. And uh, asked for asked my parents for a weight set for Christmas that year, and they got me one of those crappy little plastic coated weight sets that I think has cement inside of it, and the barbell is hollow. And what's funny is I. I still, to this day, I just saw it downstairs in my basement here. I have that old bar. It's starting to bend a little bit because my son put some weights on it that he probably shouldn't have because it's just a you know a hollow bar. Yeah. And instead of having a bench, um, my parents always kind of treated me like, okay, we'll, we'll get you started on something, but you're going to have to figure out how to finish it. Um, so I didn't have a bench, so I had to take a picnic table bench and I put a couple blankets and um, like a sleeping bag over it for some padding, so w- you know, so the wood wouldn't dig into my um, into my back. And then I put instead of uprights, I put two chairs next to each other and balanced the barbell on it. And I was doing, uh, I was trying to do bench press in my basement on a picnic table bench, which I'm sure was really safe. Um, and then uh, I took some of the plates with me in our van uh, when we would visit my relatives. We'd always have to drive about f- four hours to, for Christmas. And that was back in the day where there were no seatbelts. And I could go in the back of the, the big conversion van and I was doing curls and stuff in the back. And I totally, I just got into it. So my friends started, um, you know, asking me for advice, which, at, you know, at the time seemed really cool. Looking back was probably fairly silly because I was just a high school kid with nothing more than, you know, a couple books and ma- muscle magazines. Um, and uh, that's kind of where it all started. And I, I knew from that point on that I wanted to I wanted to do this. I didn't know what it was all about. But uh, when I got into college, I didn't even know it was a major. I didn't know that there was, you know, really a profession, a path that I could follow. Um, I think it was about my junior year, I realized that there were strength and conditioning coaches that, you know, this is maybe something I could get paid to do. I knew there was personal training and I had got certified, I got certified back in 1993 because I wanted to start doing some personal training. And I started doing that, but didn't realize that, you know, the team sport environment was available. And uh, I wanted to do an internship or a, a, an independent study, and all of my professors said, sure, go for it, but we have no idea how to help you. 
So, or, or, you know, we don't even know a direction to point you. So I found the National Strength and Conditioning Association and had to do basically an independent study, like legitimately independently, because nobody was really pointing me in the right direction and kind of figured out what a strength and conditioning coach was. Um, this is all to, pre, pre-internet too. The, uh, yeah, for sure. It's all pre-internet. Yeah. Yeah. I totally remember right about that time, uh, well, it was when I got into grad school, they handed me during my registration process an email address on a little piece of paper. And I I actually remember taking it and throwing it in the trash thinking like, who who the heck would ever use this? This is so stupid. Um, well, fast forward now, we all have to have email addresses. But yeah, this is all pre-internet and I was um, trying to make phone calls and look things up on card catalogs and libraries and all that kind of thing. Um, which I think was a great experience because it made you actually dig and value all the stuff that you got. You know, if you got a hold of somebody, you know, it meant a lot and you could, you know, today, you know, you just Facebook somebody and, uh, and send it. And I think sometimes we, um, we kind of, yeah, yeah, we take it for granted. You know, we devalue the experiences, uh, that are, are out there. I know that you mentioned, the you know my sister getting it, me into dance but that was actually kind of a big part of my professional development as well so when i was in high school she was taking dance classes like you know like every high school girl probably does and was in the musicals at school and she you know had, she said you know you should you should come to this cuz there's no guys and they need guys to do stuff and uh i watched a few times and decided to stand in the back and started kind of doing some of the stuff and I found it like super fascinating and fun because it was essentially uh, somebody, you know, I, I had grown up playing sports my whole life and this was the first time that somebody said, okay, my body just did this. Now you make yours do the same thing. And it turned into almost like a, like a, like a copycat kind of thing where, you know, somebody did something and then you had to copy them. And then they'd say, okay, now add this to it and, you know, add some complexity to it. And, you know, now you do it. And then they would make corrections and then you'd have to make the corrections and change things. And it, it became kind of a, just like a game, you know, to me. And my favorite part of all of that was like picking things up, like I'm going to watch you do it. And now I'm going to make my body do it. And it was just kind of a, a cool challenge. And I, I ended up because I was the only guy in the, in that class, uh, the instructor said, you know, Hey, we need guys to do, you know, other things and you're free, you know, don't even worry about guys. You know, they, they were going to charge me because, you know, I probably wouldn't have paid at the time. And, uh, it was, it, it, it was an awesome experience and it ended up being my minor in college and in college, uh, there was a class that we took called lab notation, which, you know, most people know that there's a system of writing music or notating music or, you know, with the notes. Well, there's also a system of writing movement and writing dance and it's called lab notation. And that's how some of the most famous, you know, dance pieces get passed on to company to come from company to company and through the years. Um, and they all do it the same way because of that. So I started looking at this process thinking, okay, if we can write out movement, then there must be, you know, ways to describe it a little bit better and to get people to move in different ways, kind of like I had learned to copy people in dance. Um, So I got really fascinated with, 
if, if we can do this in dance, why can't we do this with athletes as well? And so I started diving into how to, how to coach movement and, um, it wasn't called movement at the time. There's no really no name for it. Um, and certainly movement in my mind is actually movement. You know, it's, it's moving around through space, not doing a, like a functional movement screen to me is kind of, you know, all in place. It's not really, yeah, you're moving a little bit, but I'm talking about like moving around and doing athletic stuff. Um, and, uh, that, that kind of became a big way of, uh, or a big thing for me. That's how I, that's how I look at people when I am assessing them, you know, it's kind of through movement qualities. And, uh, it, it was a huge part of my life at the time. I, I don't dance anymore, but, um, my dance partner in college is, is my wife. And so, uh, you know, I, I got the biggest prize out of it, uh, you know, was my wife, um, not to mention, you know, it was, some all, of the ways. For, it was all for the chicks. It certainly was, you know, being, being the only guy with, with a bunch of girls in dance classes is kind of like shooting fish in a barrel, if you can imagine. So, um, yeah, that was a big part. That was a big motivation as well. So got through school and then uh, got to grad school at, Univer at the University of Michigan. And um, University of Michigan had one of the very first strength coaches in the country, uh, at least in college athletics, and that was Mike Gittleson. And uh, I, I knew that I wanted to meet this guy, but all the academic people um, in the college said, no, 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 you don't want to go talk to him. Like he's, he does stuff that we don't buy into. Um, you know, we're not in, we don't like the way he does it and he's probably not going to talk to you anyway. So I, I tried to go visit him in the football building and um, they, there was like security at the front door and they wouldn't let me in. So I, I think I waited a couple days and I kind of watched how things went and I waited for other guys to be walking in through the team entrance and I kind of just walked behind them and waved to security and just walked right through and, and got myself into the building. Once I got in, I had no idea where I was going until I opened a door and it was the weight room and I walked in and I know that you thought that, that this is kind of funny, but I walked in and Mike Gittleson saw me from across the weight room and, and yelled, he's like, Hey, who are you? And, uh, I was, you know, I was kind of scared, but I tried, tried to explain what I was doing. And he's like, how did you get in here? And uh, I just told him that I walked in and he was probably, he was pretty pissed off. Uh, but I told him that I wanted to learn from him. So I think it kind of settled him down and he sat me down in his office and just ripped the crap out of me for quite a while. Um, basically told me that I knew absolutely nothing which looking back, I probably did know nothing, but, um, you know, I, I learned a lot from him and I learned a lot about how strength and conditioning works in the team environment and how to organize things. And he was really good about managing stresses. And this is back in like 1993 or four and maybe 95 and at the time, nobody was talking about managing stresses in an athlete's life. And today you've got all these sports scientists that, you know, they're, they're doing their, all the different monitoring and everything to, um, manage stresses. And he was doing the, doing it back then more from an artistic standpoint. Like he just, you know, it was a gut feel. He, he, it was intuitive. He just knew that, you know, if a kid had just broken up with his girlfriend and was struggling with grades, that things were probably not going to go perfectly in the weight room or during a practice session. And he would try to manage all that kind of stuff. It was, it was a really cool experience and kind of got me into the college scene. And I was 
uh, I was managing a, a little training center that was a fitness center um, back at the time and was was training a kid uh, that was playing basketball over in Japan. And I didn't really realize it, but he must have been going back to his college for the summer and, and crushing people in the pickup runs. And he sat me, you know, he sat down with me one time after a workout and asked me if I would ever want to be in the college setting, to which I replied, absolutely, that's what I'm trying to do, but there just aren't many jobs. And uh, to kind of make a long story short, within about a half an hour, I got a phone call from um, either their basketball coach or their athletic director and got an interview and uh, ended up being the strength coach at the University of Detroit for about six years, which was an amazing experience. Um, I was only about 25 years old. The kids were almost as old as me, um, and I had never been a head guy. It was just me with, I think we had 17 or 18 varsity sports in a in the worst weight room that you've ever seen. Um very low pay and uh, just had to work my butt off to make things happen. And to this day, I still am, am in touch with a lot of athletes that that I trained and made some really good relationships and probably made a lot of mistakes and um, and, and pissed a lot of people off. I, w- I was a very different person back then. Um, I was I was dropping F-bombs on kids left and right and thought that it was all about me and that I was ready to fight everybody, which is completely unlike me now. Um, but you know, that's what I thought I was supposed to do at the time. And, mm. and that's what I did, man. Yeah, that that I mean, was a long background, Robbie. No, no, it was absolutely great. And just, uh, I know you're saying six years in a crappy weight room, but I, 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 I would almost dare to say you wouldn't change it for anything. You know, it, you it, know, it obviously was a huge part of, of who you are today. You know, absolutely. And I said something about appreciating things. When I got into that crappy weight room, it was just the it was terrible, and I knew that Mike at Michigan had some old Nautilus leverage equipment, and I don't you I don't know if you've ever seen Nautilus leverage equipment. It was kind of like the precursor to hammer strength stuff, that kind of that kind of build, mm-hmm. and I knew that I needed like a couple of pieces, and that he had he had that stuff sitting in storage, and I called him up and said. Hey, can I buy that stuff from you? Because I figured it would be super cheap, and I could at least get something in that room. And uh, and to my chagrin, he said, "Yeah, we have it. I'm not going to sell it to you." And I was like, "What are you talking about? Like, you're not doing anything. It's sitting in storage." And he said, "No, I'm not going to sell it to you because as soon as you buy used equipment there, then your administration is going to say, oh, well, we'll always buy used equipment and.'" Now he's got his stuff and we're not going to buy anything new. Yeah, he said, so you're going to buy one piece of equipment this year with that money. And next year you'll buy one more. And the year after you'll buy one more. And pretty soon you'll have the weight room that you wanted. And I was I was so mad at him because he didn't understand. I thought he didn't understand how crappy my weight room was. Um, but a few years later, you know, we moved in, moved across the hall to a much bigger space and um had a little bit of a budget to buy some more stuff and turned it into kind of the weight room that I wanted. And by the time I left, it was, it was a pretty sweet room and the way that I wanted it. Uh, so of course he was right, you know, and at the time when I'm young, I thought I was right. But looking back, you know, there's a reason that older people have experience and wisdom and I just didn't necessarily want to hear it at the time. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a cool experience. And I, and I, every year I really valued and appreciated every single piece that we were able to get because, I had to wait for it, and I couldn't get, you know, all that used stuff right off the bat. Great stuff. So just moving on from that, then, 
in terms of your biggest influences, and I, I always make sure that to, to ask people about their biggest influence, not only on them professionally as a coach or if I have a therapist on or whatever, but uh, I always ask people who's been their biggest influence on them both professionally and personally. So in terms of your biggest influence on you both professionally and personally, who, who, would, you, uh, who would you say have been the biggest influences on you? Um, well, obviously Mike you know, had a big influence on me, but a lot of the people that had influences on me were more uh, local and people who, you know, uh, other people may not even know. There was a guy named Walt Reynolds who was a, he was a high jumper. I mean, this guy was amazing. He was over 40 years old and he could still high jump. He could still clear seven feet um, on a high jump, which is ridiculous. And, but just a real low key guy. And, he trained a lot of athletes in the area that I was growing up, and I did an internship at a, a health club where he did personal training, and he took me under his wing and became a really good friend and um, taught me a lot, taught me a, a whole lot about training and um, kind of how to use some of the stuff that I was learning at the University of Michigan um, and and then apply it into you know other settings. Um, so that so he was a he was a huge influence in my life and. Um, through the years, just so many, so many strength coaches have have been awesome to me. Um, Ken Manny at Michigan State, a guy named John Frapier, who created uh, a training system back in I guess the eighties and nineties that I got involved in. Um, he was a huge influence in my speed training development, and he had gone over to um, Soviet. Union back uh, when it kind of opened up and he learned was at, about uh, Athletic Republic. Was that still Yeah, so it so he got bought out uh, back several years ago now, and uh, it, it before it was Athletic Republic, it was called Frapier Acceleration Sports Training, and uh, it was a really cool system. And he was a brilliant guy and a super nice guy too. Um, so he he taught me a lot about about speed development, and um, I still carry some of those things you know, with me. It's interesting looking back at some of my influences. Um, I still carry some of those, some of those thoughts, but I kind of take a little bit from each one and then turn it into my own thing. So I don't do, I don't do strength training exactly like Mike Gittleson did. And I don't do speed development the way, exactly the way John Frapier did. Um, you know, but those people, you know, they all, they all had a huge role in, uh, in my education. Um, you know, so many other people like today that I that I talk to that, um, you know, I, I like older strength coaches now that I, I didn't like. You know, I, I, before when I was young, I thought, oh, I got to I'm not going to listen to these old guys. You know, they, they don't know what they're talking about. But guys like Al Vermeil and Johnny Parker have spoken to me. And, um, you know, I, I find it fascinating to, to listen to them talk about things, but then also newer, younger people. Um, I'll even throw Mike Boyle in there. He, I know he's, he wouldn't consider himself young, but he's, you know, a lot younger than some of these other guys, but Mike Boyle and Brett Bartholomew and, uh, even guys like Brett Contreras and Kelly Sturette and, you know, a lot of people who are doing more stuff on the internet, um, or who are more popular now, um, you know, I take a little bit from everybody. I, I try to learn something from everybody. And, um, I feel like the older I get and the more I learn, the dumber I feel because there's just so much out there. Um, I remember being at, do you know who Gary Gray is? Oh is yeah. Yeah. Of course. I know right. Gary Gray. Very, right, so Gary, very, very Christian, but, uh, let, let me off with it. 
<laughs> the good Lord gave us this ankle. I was like, okay, Gary, just, just get on with the ankle, please. <laughs> he is an amazing guy. Um, he's just a good, good person through and through. And yeah. he's from he, – his place is only about an hour and a half from here. And he was awesome to me also, kind of taking me under his wing. And I remember sitting at one of his seminars and thinking – like, oh, my God, like, how am I supposed to understand all this stuff? And um, I went up to him after afterwards and I said, all right, Gary, like, how am I supposed to know all this stuff and do all these different things that you're teaching that are more, you know, I'll call them physical therapy related and do speed training and do strength training and, you know, have team cohesion and all this stuff. And, uh, I thought he was going to have some awesome answer for me, but he put his hand on my shoulder. He looked at me. He goes, I don't know, Jim, you've got a really hard job. <laughs> I was like, oh, thanks, man. You know, and he basically said, you're going to have to figure out how to take bits and pieces from all these things that you're learning and put yeah. them together in a way that works because you're not going to be able to do it all. Well, I know, and, uh, uh, I know, sorry, I know Todd is a Todd Wright has done a great job incorporating a lot of his um, methodologies into, into his athletic development system. Yeah, uh, I know Charlie Weingroff did a mentorship with a lot of people friends with Charlie now. Charlie took his mentorship at uh, Train for the Game. It must be about six, maybe seven years ago, I think. Charlie, yeah. Charlie had known. He, he said that. And Charlie was very skeptical of Gary's stuff because you see so many old videos of Gary's got dumbbells and he's doing, you know, your back is flexed with lunges and people and he's doing like, you know, over yeah. the head and going to extension and some people were like, Jesus, like, what's he at? And then, like, so, but Charlie said when he saw Todd interpretate the work and incorporate, he's like, I like this. I like this a lot. Like, you know, and I think Gary brought some great concepts. Uh, you know, like Mike Boyle would say Gary was an influence, you know, with all the three-dimensional stuff. Um, yeah, I think Gary Gary's great. You know, and his gift program is very, very good too. You know, I've, I've done bits and pieces of Gary Gray stuff. I have all those DVDs actually, like his old ones, like yeah, the, the old individual DVDs like Scapula and Hip and like they're all here somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, I mean, he's, he's, he's brilliant and he was kind of ahead, ahead of his time. You know, he, yeah, he I was. call him he totally was. I call him the godfather of uh, three-dimensional training. And um, he was more, you know, while I learned a ton of, like, training stuff from him, um, just kind of approach to life and um, and just the way he goes about his business, he really shared a lot of that with me as well, which was super, super helpful. And, um, you know, you can't you can't always take advantage of everything. But he said um, he, when I wrote my first book, uh, I was talking to him about it and he said, well, you need to come up with a, with a term that everyone will associate with you. He mm -hmm. said, so now mm -hmm. when people hear like the matrix or, you know, or 3d stuff, a lot of people refer, you know, they, they think Gary, of me Gary. because I was yeah. kind of the first person to do it. He said, so what, you know, so what are you talking about? And the tagline of the book or the subtitle of my first book was uh, movement training, you know, something about movement training for athletic success. And he goes, well, there it is. He goes, movement training. He goes, make your thing movement training. And uh, I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. You know, people weren't talking about it at the time. Well, I completely missed out on that because nobody associates me with movement training. You know, like movement training is now more, um, you know, functional movement screen kind of stuff. Um but his idea was, you know, was, you know, you got to find something that people will kind of associate with you. And um, I tried really hard, but, you know, you, you can't make everything happen. But his advice was very, very sound. Great stuff. Uh, what about personally? Any, any others personally in terms of influences? 
probably family, friends, is it? Or? Yeah, you know, again, people that uh, you don't necessarily, you wouldn't necessarily know. Um, you know, I have a lot of a lot of friends who are not in this business that I I talk to quite a bit, and uh, my my wife has been, you know, a huge mm. huge uh, influence in my life and making me a better person, and um, you, you know, I, I and my kids as well. I, anytime that I do something, I always. I always have these six eyes staring back at me. So I, I have to, you know, even if I'm making like a post online, I have to think like, all right, my kids are going to see this because they're all, you know, they're online, you know, and, and are they going to, what are they going to think? Are they going to make fun of me? And they do. I mean, my, uh, you know, my, my kids will like sometimes, you know, comment like almost like cyber bully me on, uh, on Instagram and you say, you don't know what you're talking about. It, yeah, dad, that's a cringy post and stuff like that. And, um, it, you know, so I have to defriend. Did you just defriend yeah, exactly. me? Exactly. <laughs> Did you just defriend me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go to your room. You're defriended. Exactly. And give me your phone. <laughs> uh, you know, so, so being a, being a dad has, has made me and, and a husband has made me, um, really try to, live not just my life, but my career with as much integrity as I can so that I feel, you know, like, Hey, if they're going to listen to something or they're going to see me do a video or whatever it is, like I got, I have to be able to come home, you know, to this and, and explain myself. So, uh, it, it, it kind of keeps me on the straight and narrow, not all the time, but you know, it's a, it's a good way for me to kind of keep myself in check if I try to take myself too seriously. Cause, um, I'm I'm certainly not taken seriously at home all the time. <laughs> I have to say, uh, and we're going to move along swift now because I have questions and training that I want to get into. But I have to say, I don't know how you guys who who partners and kids do it because I know Gary um, Gary Schoenfield. I had him on the podcast as well. Now the episode hasn't gone live yet, but I spoke to him uh, about three or four weeks ago. That tells you how many podcasts I'm backed up. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, don't worry, Jim. We'll get this one out quick because I'm, I'm, I'm banging out like every every second day at the moment. Right. Um, but uh, he he really brought to light like the importance of being able to you know switch off being a coach into the mode then of being a father and and uh, yeah. a husband. And um, I thought he made a really good point. He says that when he goes to work in the morning, he listens to podcasts before a better coach. But then on his way home. He listens to something that's going to make him a better, better father and a better husband and a better friend. Because he says when he goes home, he wants to, be able to take off basically the the suit of being a coach and just put on the suit of being a father and husband. Because like I, I can't actually remember where I heard this, but someone's oh it was Mike, Mike Robertson's podcast. He was saying that uh, it was actually a podcast I think with Kier because Kier went on flat as a strength coach. I don't know if yeah. you know Kier. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Ruby strength coach and and Kier, as far as I know, he may have a girlfriend, but he's not married with kids or anything. And I'm I'm single too myself, ladies, just saying so you know that. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, like Mike Robinson was saying that a lot of his friends who are within the strength coach profession are either are either like uh, really struggling with their marriage or their marriage has ended purely because of their job. Like, like so, guys who have these ridiculous pro teams or collegiate teams, and again, it's just like this idea of you often hear this thing of work work life balance and. I think it's incredible for guys that, that really make it work out, you know, and when Gary went through sort of his day and his priorities and his family, and like I remember on one podcast, Gary saying his favorite thing was a Saturday afternoon with his, with his family on the porch and he could do that every day for his life, he'd be happy, so he reprioritizes really his family where 
I think a lot of guys kind of neglected a little bit, you know. So I know a few coaches who have, and, and they're older now. I won't name names here, but they say that's a big regret now, and they're trying to make up for it with their grandkids now. So the fact oh. that they're kind of like semi-retired. Uh, no, no, I think I think a lot of people have done that. I mean, and it just hits me all the time. Even yesterday, uh, I was talking to somebody up at University of Michigan, and um, he was kind of saying the same thing. He was like, it, "The pay is, you know, you 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 get to this certain level of big time athletics, and the pay is really good, but like, I, I don't." I don't have a life anymore, you know, yeah. like, wow, what am I, you know, where's, where's the balance? And, um, I've actually, you know, kind of taken it upon myself when there's guys that will maybe post something online that, um, or, or, or in our IYCA, IYCA insiders group, uh, where people kind of post a little bit more conversational things. Um, we will, sorry about that. Yeah, you can uh, you, you have to answer it. You can, I, I, I don't, I don't have to, um, I don't want but I don't to, know, but I don't know how to stop it either. So you know, we're all just right. gonna have to we're gonna have to fight through it. It's all good. Um, but uh, my my point was that I, I will see somebody say something about you know I'm struggling with uh, I'm working all these hours or I'm I'm there in the morning and then I'm there at night and I haven't seen my kids or whatever it is and I've I've reached out to these people. Um, I wish I I wish I knew how to turn that it's off. It's fine, but. it's fine. Don't worry about it. Let's stop this. Okay. Um, so I I've I've reached out to these people and just said like, hey, I want to talk to you. Like, you gotta you're gonna have to figure out a way to balance things out, or yeah. you're gonna burn yourself out, and you're gonna get out of this in a couple of years. And um, you're gonna hate, kind you're of gonna like, hate the profession, and then you're fucking yeah. you're around saying my family's gone shit. Like, wow, come just crumbling down and won't go. Like, you know. Yeah, they, I was at a conference just uh, this past summer speaking and. Um, the night, bef- the night before I spoke, two people stood up and said, "Hey, you have to give everything to this profession. You know, I, I've I've given up, you know, everything for this, and um, and, you know, and now you know, now I've got this great job." And I stood up the next day and I said, "You know, I've been thinking about this, and I wasn't going to say anything, but I completely disagree with this. Um, you know, we talk about, or at least I do, I talk about making an impact on people's lives a lot, and." You know, at the end of the day, the people's lives that we're going to impact the most are if you're if you're married and have kids, that's who that's who's going to be there. You know, when you're put in the grave, in your grave, like that's who's going to be there for you, not you know these people that you don't know. And if you can't make an impact on your own um, family and friends and and kids, then you, you know maybe maybe it's time to to reassess or something. So, you know, yeah, I. I I'm home at night with my kids. I try to, you know, I, I come home and help with homework and I coach all my kids teams when I can and try to spend t- as much time as I can with my wife. And, um, she's pretty good about, you know, keeping me in, in line and saying like, um, no, you're not, you're not working right now. Like we've got stuff going on and I just have to, I just have to sometimes, you know, take a step back and think, okay, you know, not everything's going to get done. You know, and and that's okay. You know, the world's going to go on. Nobody's going to care um, at the end of the day. You know, I'll, I'll I'll get things done eventually, but I can't get the time back with my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, so I I can't. You know, there's going to be a. I I remember for a long time, and this is you know, I guess a little bit uh, more advice than you were asking about, but oh, great. You you did you did say we we're going to talk about lessons learned, um, and and I know that this has helped a couple of other strength coaches that have young kids. Um, you never know when the last time you're going to do something 
is going to be, especially with your kids. And I remember thinking things like, um, you know, I'm walking my kids to school and one day, like I didn't get a hug from one of them. And, you know, I, I stopped and I thought like, when was the, when did that stop? You know, yeah, when, yeah. you know, and my, my youngest kid, I, I had the chance he's, um, several years younger than the, than my middle kid. And so, the older two kind of, I, I just wanted them to grow up, you know, I kind of like, Oh, we want them to walk and they need to talk and they need to do this. And you, you know, trying to push the growth cycle on them. My youngest one, I, I, I realized like, this is going to end, you know, this is all going to end. And when's the last time he's going to sit on my lap and watch TV, you know, and, and when's the last time I'm going to get that hug at the, you know, at the, at the schoolyard. And, uh, I try to, you know, take advantage of those things as much as I possibly can, because, you know, anybody that has kids, you'll realize, you know, there are last times for everything. And uh, you just got to try to take advantage of them. And if you're in the weight room coaching um, or, you know, just guarding your weight room, waiting for somebody to come in, you know, you're, you're kind of pissing that time away and you can't get it back. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's some great stuff. And I, and I suppose the other thing that always got to me, like I can't really speak because, again, I don't have a family or wife, but like – it's it's there's like a sort of like uh, hypocrisy hip, hypocrisy I often I can't say that word right but you get what I mean hypocrisy in a lot of coaching in that like coaches all beyond their athletes about their nutrition and their sleep and their recovery and you know train hard and recover hard and then you get these coaches who are just like that you're getting burnt out because like, like Gary's actually an example like Gary's like he only sleeps like four hours a night or whatever yeah. Like, yeah like how long can that last you know now obviously he's, he's you know that's that's what he's doing currently but like again it's like sustainability is is the key like and we, even if you look at anything in life sustainability is key. like a training program consistency is the key like i'd rather yep. you did three good sessions a week and say right i'm gonna do double two a days six times a week and it's just like yeah and then you're gonna burn out it's just like it's the same with life dude you, like, mm-hmm. you just can't keep going at 5 a.m and getting home at 12 and five hours sleep and it's just it is gonna take a toll and and what, what ends up happening is you become a person that you're really not because mm-hmm. like we're biochemical machines and like lack of sleep, blood sugar regulations all over the place, diet's probably not great because you, if you're only getting like like five hours of sleep and you're up from 5 a.m. to almost midnight, when do you get a chance to prep any meals or get good food in? Mm-hmm. And then you're just a completely different person than you really are at your core. You know, you could be the greatest person ever, but it's just because of the environmental factors and and then, then we'd be the very people telling athletes, so, you know, you know, maybe you need to like, you know, <laughs> recovery and sleep nutrition very good. And then like, like people can smell that duplicity off you. Like, like I know you're saying this, but you don't do it. So like, again, like actions will all speak louder than words. So I think it's it'd be more behooving on us to actually like, like make a priority. Say no, like, like for me personally, Jim, I I will not like. So if I'm involved with a team here in Ireland, like I will not train a team past 9 p.m. at night. I also, because mm-hmm. I value my sleep too much. I'm like, I'm not staying around bright lights in the pitch black. And I'm like, we're not training at 9 p.m. night either. That's shit from lads. I'd rather we train early mm-hmm. in the morning. Mm-hmm. Like, so like, so we've done compromise with that. I'm like, it's, it's like, but see, this is the thing too. People think that sport and health are the same thing and they're not. Like, sport is not healthy. Mm-hmm. They're two completely different things. I'm almost like, rugby, not healthy. American football, not healthy. Smash it. No. Like, basketball, playing games at like 10 p.m. at night under those bright lights and then staying for 4 p.m. wired, not healthy. So no. it's a thing. But listen, that that's absolutely fantastic. I'm so glad you, you really got into that and I really appreciate it. But this we're we're almost well, we're probably almost forty minutes in here and we didn't get to any training stuff yet. So 
The first uh, training question we'll get into is your overall training system and philosophy. I oh, know a big one. You give me those eyes there. People can't see this. is audio, but you give me the eyes. Um, I know your you know, speed is a massive area with you too. So, you know, uh, you've done presentations in the Complete Speed Power Summits on Acceleration, which are excellent. But if if I was just to pose the question, what is your training philosophy um, like when it comes to athletic development? You know, what would you say to that? Take it away. Yeah, uh, I guess it's, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to try to, you know, get myself out of it, but it, it, it really is kind of athlete centered and, and movement centered, I would say. So I am, I do, because I talk about speed a lot, I think people maybe just think, oh, well, you know, maybe he doesn't lift weights or maybe he doesn't do, you know, this or do that. I, I do, I do it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I always kind of look at, okay, what does this athlete actually have to do? And then what can I do to, to help that athlete, um, do, do that better and to stay healthy. One thing that uh, I always have safety first. And, uh, my friend Tony Rolinski at Notre Dame used to yell out safety, safety never takes a holiday, you know, and no matter what it was, you know, like, and so I always think that to myself too, that I'm not, I, I, I'm not, I don't want ever want to get a kid hurt, you know, cause I, you know, if you get a kid hurt, then that you're not doing your job. So safety has got to be first. So some, some coaches, I think that they don't care, you know, they, they don't mind having some attrition, you know, if, you know, if, uh, if we can add, you know, 20 pounds onto the squat, but you know, 10% of the kids are going to end up getting hurt. They don't care cause they want those 20 pounds. I, I don't feel that way. Mm. Um, so the the movement based stuff, I, I feel like that's kind of always the the key. You've got athletes have to be able to move, not necessarily lift huge weights. And um, the the second thing is, you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna be able to move well, then you have to apply force into the ground. And to apply force into the ground, you're gonna have to be stronger. And if you're gonna apply force into the ground and move quickly, then you have to have some power or, um, you know, or the ability to to apply that force quickly into the ground. So, you know, we, we do a lot of movement speed kind of related things, but then we also, you know, every, every athlete that comes through our place does a complete speed training pro or I'm sorry, strength training program. We always have power development of one sort or another. There is always a conditioning component. There's always a mobility component, um, to everything. And, uh, just depending on the athlete's needs, we will, we will kind of, ratchet up one of one or more of those and ratchet back on some of the others, especially depending on the time of year. Um, you know, you just have to, I try not to make it about myself and, and about my program. You know, I could go in, we started working with a, a football team, uh, a high school football team this year and, um, they didn't have money to do anything over the summer. So our first day was their first week of, of competition now I could have gone in there and just brutalized these kids and been like, you know, I'm going to give you the hardest workout that you've ever seen in your life, you know, and I'm going to crush you. And then on Friday night, they're not going to be able to walk and kids are going to get hurt and it's going to be a mess. Um, so, you know, you have to learn that it's not about you. It's about what's right for the kids. So I had to take a step back and, you know, we made the workout what it needed to be. And, um, and that's kind of that's kind of my philosophy all the time is you know you have to give kids what they need at the right times um, even if that's not what maybe the coach or the parent thinks is is what you need they they need at the time. 
Yeah, I think uh, it's funny you said the term athlete centered because I'm doing my master's in, in um, St. Mary's and I just finished my first year St. Mary's at Twickenham in London. Even though I live in Ireland, but the master's is, is majority online. But one of our assignments for one of our modules was to speak about athlete coach relationships. So mm-hmm. I did, did a lot of work there. Um, like Lynn, Lynn, is it Lynn Kidman, is that her name? She's from New Zealand. She's got like a lot of material on athlete centered approach. So. Mm. It, it was an area I read up an awful lot on, and the, the, you know they spoke a lot about the self determination theory, and that if you can if you can make athletes have more autonomy in their training, they're going to have more um, intrinsic mm-hmm. motivation versus you know extrinsic motivation. Um, and yeah, so the athlete centered approach is huge, and they talk about that versus the coach centered approach. The coach centered approach is all about them, and it's funny like a lot of listeners, if they listened to the last previous podcast over the last few months, have been speaking a lot about this idea of ego. Um, mm-hmm. And also how that goes in conjunction with uncertainty and death. Now I know when you say oh Jesus death, what are we getting to now? But if you think about it, like the biggest question that every human being has, whether they think about it consciously on a moment-to-moment basis or it's always at the back of their mind, is death. Like people are like, uh, I don't really know what's next. So it's a big cloud of uncertainty in people's lives. And one mechanism to cope with that is to put in um, mechanisms of, of control in our lives. So like some people will have like their daily ritual. I have breakfast at this time every day and I have this food of Wednesday's mm-hmm. meat, Wednesday's meatloaf day and Friday's, <laughs> Friday, Friday, you know, cause it adds control to our lives. Other people obviously then have their beliefs, their belief systems, religious, political, ideological. But then when it comes to coaching, you have your own belief systems and then they become sort of belief systems that you identify with and they become a part of your ego, quote unquote. And if they become under threat or attack, well, you know, that's a huge threat to your ego because basically your, your ego gives you a, a sense of worth. Like, like, why am I here? What's my life all about? You know, it gives you a sense of, well, I'm a, I'm, I'm a worthwhile human being, basically. Where, so any, so they, they feel like that the, uh, every second they have to defend their work here. You see this an awful lot in like team organizations where the strength coach also has to have their bit because, well, I, I'm the strength coach and this, this is what I'm here for. And if they're not getting better, but like if they're benching, they're squatting, they're deadlifting, their vertical jump got up, but they're not playing well on the field, that's on you guys, not me, because I yeah. do my role. And Kieran and Flat, actually, and I've often said this, one of the best things I've ever heard Kieran Flat says, sometimes the best thing an SSC coach can do with an athlete is go away. Like leave, as in like not put more stress on their system, like train them into the ground, which you know, which which we'll talk about. We'll talk more about the IYCA, IYCA and you know long term life development stuff. Um, and a lot of it's again to do with you know it's just that they feel that they have to do something to 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 kind of prove that they're a worthy human or that they're worthwhile. That like you know this is why I'm here. So again, making it about themselves. And I can completely relate to what you're saying. Early in my career, I was the same. I was the same as all about me. And the example I give is that if I was coaching an athlete, Jim, you'll probably relate to this, and the athlete was like not doing what I wanted them to do, like they looked awful. What was happening was at a subconscious level, I was getting embarrassed as a coach mm-hmm. by their performance. Subconsciously, in the back of my mind, I'm like, if Jim Kilpasso walked in now, appear in my field and saw me this I'd be mortified. He'd be like, Robbie Burke can't coach, he's terrible. <laughs> Where again, the mindset should have been, and the mindset is now because I'm more aware of these uh, concepts and ideas, it's about the athlete. Like the athlete isn't, isn't purposely trying to make you look bad. It's got nothing to do with you. You are purely just a facilitator as a coach. That is all you are doing. You're facilitating potential in that human being that's standing right in front of you, and it's got nothing to do with you in terms of how their uh, performance is. So it's being able to disassociate with that. 
So it's uh, it's it's definitely an area that I can relate to as well because I, I was the exact same area in my career. And, and you said earlier on, and I can relate to this. I was a very different person. You were saying, you know, you were dropping f bombs. Like I, I wasn't dropping f bombs, but I definitely wasn't. Uh, I wasn't. I would uh, let's just say, looking back on the culture was then, I wouldn't be too proud of some of the things I've done either. You know, in terms of how I relate to certain athletes. But again, I would I take it back? No, because it made me the person I am right now in this moment. And, it's all part of the, the journey of of, uh, of life as a human and as a coach. Yeah, I think we all kind of have to go through that. And um, you mentioned some things that, that reminded me of other things that I make sure that I do that are also part of my coaching philosophy is that especially in team-based activities, I almost always incorporate some sort of a lesson um, or a, a character development component. And I don't know that I, you know, I, I always have tried to do this, but I think I'm much better at it now that I'm older and have more experience because I have more stories to tell and um, I can say the thing, you know, I've said it multiple times, but I love being involved with a team um, and being able to, to give kids a message that, you know, hey, you need to work on whatever, you know, you know, like something about work ethic or following directions or holding each other accountable, just whatever it may be, whatever you see, like, oh, God, this team needs this message mm. at this time and being able to pull that out or this kid, you know, I need to pull this kid aside and have a talk with this this person about, you know, whatever it may be. Um, I, I truly feel like we can make a much bigger impact uh, on, on both sport and people's lives, not with the necessarily with the dumbbell and the sets and the reps, but what we can do from the neck up with somebody yeah. and, you know, yeah. and, and, and talk to them. And, and I kind of have realized, you know, I used to think, you know, all this speed training was, you know, I'm, I'm going to make people faster and I can, I can improve people's 40 yard dash times better than anybody, you know, and that's, that's why they're coming to me. And I've realized that all this speed training stuff is just kind of a, a vehicle to be able to wait for that moment, to have that conversation with somebody about something more important than, than their 40 or, or, or whatever it might be. And, uh, um, I, I've also really realized that, you know, some, something that I see, especially with social media is that everybody wants to, you know, always go up, 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 up in, in what they think are the, you know, the next tier, you know, so if you're a high school coach, you want to be coaching the all state kids. And if you did there, then you want to do the college. And if you're in college, you want to do the pros and, and that higher is better. But I realize that higher is not better. It, you actually have far less influence and far less impact on people's lives, the older they get and the, and the more elite they are. And, um, I, I wish that we could kind of turn our model around the way things used to be, where yeah. really great coaches spent more time with young athletes, where where a huge long term impact is going to be made. But it's it's not sexy, you know, and, and people don't want to post about coaching the U9 uh, soccer team. They want to talk about, you know, people winning championships and stuff. And um, it, it's too bad. So I, I, I've really been on a mission to kind of get great coaches to at least spend some of their time with younger athletes where I think uh, it, it's funny. You, I now see a lot of older coaches. I mentioned Johnny Parker and Al Vermeil. Um, those kind of guys grab me now and they're like, you know, I'm, I'm at a high school now. I love it. This is the best thing ever. And um, we got to do stuff for the kids is way more important than these older guys. Like these older guys are, they're freaks anyway, you know, like we got to help the kids. And um, it, it seems like Everybody wants to climb up this ladder, and then once they're at the top, they realize, oh, it's way better at the bottom. 
it's funny you, you mentioned uh, this earlier on to Alvin, you know, the way you were like, uh, you know, these all the coaches, I didn't really listen to Alvin. And, and when you said all coaches, like instantly my head went Alvin, you know, like before you said <laughs> Alvin, because the reason I say that, I don't know if you know, Al is a huge mentor. I actually, like, I know Al very well. Like, we Skype a lot, and I spent two days cool. at his home in 2015. Um, and when I, like, first came across Al, and this is the perception as well. Like, a lot of people are like, Alvin Meal, you know, sort of, yeah, he's great, getting milky, milky, the talk. And then I saw Alvin Meal present 2010, and he blew my mind with the information. Like, he gave us, like, his presentation was like a textbook on training. And since that day, I was like, like I remember, I had I had that presentation like and I used like it was such a huge influence on like how I program and I used to be bombarded with emails and start like you know Al your tempo volumes and then it's all in your speed where do you put your change of direction stuff and like he would always be like Rob what's your number like he he, used, he came he came back to me and said what's your number I'll ring you and I'm like Al Vermeil Chicago yeah. Chicago Bulls San Francisco 49ers Super Bowl yeah. ring six NBA championship it wants my number in Ireland to ring me I was like. That's the kind of coach I want to be. And I know from Al, too, he'll also say that his favorite time coaching was the high school in California. He'd say those athletes were the, that, that was his favorite time ever coaching. He says San Francisco's are great, Championship Bulls are great. But he'll even say, he goes, people are like, what should you do with Horse Grant? He's like, Horse is already a freak. He's already a freak. <laughs> like, like, well, you know, all those guys were already freaks. He's like, but those high school athletes, they made me a coach, you know? Yeah. So uh, it's, it's really, really good. That's funny because he did almost the same thing to me. I was speaking and I saw him sitting in the audience and I'm thinking, oh, God, what does he think of this? And afterwards, he grabbed me. Uh, I was trying to run out of there to catch a flight and he grabbed me by the arm. and He goes, hey, that was great. Call me. Let me give you my phone number. We, the stuff for the kids is the most important thing and we got to do this. We got to do this stuff for the kids. Yeah, and it's always like light up when he's yeah, like, yeah, 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 exactly. And uh, I was like, yes, you know, like you, you can just tell that once people have done it, you know, whatever, done it all, they realize that, you know, like what's maybe a little bit more his, important. His his hunger for learning is unreal. I'll tell you a little side story here too. So Al, Al used to talk about doing some like elastic jumps at the end of a weight session and he just felt it was good for coordination. Dan mm. Pfaff does, does multiple med ball throws and he does a thing called rudiment at the end. Rudiment, mm. Rudiment's a like lower, lower limb condition, but there is like an elastic component, a bit of coordination between ankle, knee, hip and structures. But the med balls were more so for reboot, dampens with rebooting the system and coordination and all that because he feels that like weight training dampens down like certain receptors in, 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 in the system. And in fairness, like subjectively, like I know that from if I do like some weights and then I go out and like, I don't know if you know the Irish for Ireland, if I go out and try and like strike the ball, my coordination's a little bit lower place. Probably fatigue is a factor too. But so Dan, I was just thinking like Al kind of came up with this and Dan kind of did this. And then I mentioned to Al, Al goes, he goes, Robbie, Write that down for me, and then he goes, "Actually, give me Dan Pfaff's email." And I was like, "Dan," and I was like, "Dan, Alvin wants something." And Dan's like, "Honored to talk to Alvin." And I was just like, "Yeah, awesome." And I was like, "Keep me in these emails, please." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So just like be a fly on the wall, uh, Jim. So you were talking a little bit there about your system. So you went through like there's a warm up piece, there's a speed power piece, there's strength, there's conditioning. Um, let's say I'm, I'm a brand new athlete that comes to you. Like, so is there an assessment process? And then let's get into maybe some long-term leg development. So let's say I'm an athlete. Uh, I know you spoke about on the Athlete Power Podcast that 8 to 18 is kind of the, the age range you sort of work with. Um, so like, let's say you're going to have me for, for a good scope of development. So maybe, you know, let's say I'm a 12-year-old and I show up and I haven't done really anything. And you're going to have me now right up until I'm, I leave high school. Like, first of all, so on the more sort of micro level, what is, is there an assessment involved? 
Is there a movement screening? Is there, and then what would the program look like? And then how would that program look like over like a multi-year training system? Just, you know, kind of global concepts. So it's going to be a little different depending on if we get you at one of our schools that we do strength and conditioning, basically provide coaches for, or if we get you into our facility where you're basically a, you know, a paying customer. Um, it, at our facility, everybody goes through an, an assessment, and the assessment is going to be kind of a movement screen, but kind of our own, more based on Gary Gray's kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it will also include performance assessments, so we run you know, sprints and shuttles and vertical jumps and all that kind of stuff as well. And then we do a lot of uh, what I, again, cut, would call more of a, a real movement screen um, where we actually videotape people running and jumping um, to see what's going on. And then we show them and their parents, especially like we'll slow down and, uh, you know, slow down the video and say, look, here's what here's what you're doing. Here's what we're going to get you to do, and here's how we're going to make this happen. Mm. And then the program is going to continue to reinforce that. We're going to do a strength program and the power to put more force in the ground, blah, 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 and kind of explain how we're going to go about the process. Um, and if uh, it, when kids come in to train with us, maybe a 12-year-old or, um, or something like that, it, we, we start them off doing you know pretty hard stuff and and we assume that we're going to have them for six to eight weeks and we don't know what's going to happen after that so we we train them to get as you know the the best results we can in those six to eight weeks and then try to explain to the and educate parents that this is a long-term process but but that long-term process is sometimes it's a it's a hard sell because it's not just about what's right for the kid but okay well i've got soccer three nights a week and homework and we've also got this and we've got that, you know, when are we supposed to come in here? We live 30 minutes away. Um, so we try to make things really realistic. And, uh, I I remember I wrote an article a while back that said, you know, when everybody was talking about functional training and I said, practical is the new functional and, you know, can you actually do this program or not? And, you know, we can talk about long-term athlete development being, you know, this perfect, um, this perfect plan, but if, you know, when kids are in season and they're playing multiple sports and they've got homework, like uh, things start to change quite dramatically yeah. and you can't be there with them every single time. So some of the stuff that I'll that I'll have kids do if if I can get them to do it, the, the stuff through their season is it ends up being fairly minimal. But to them, it's huge. You know, girls, uh, girls, soccer players that are, you know, 12 to 15 years old. Just getting them to do some mobility and some calf stretching and uh, and ankle mobility and hip mobility stuff along with some basic, you know, body weight strength things um, during a season is huge because they just don't do it. They, you know, for the most part, these girls will, um, they'll run around for a couple hours uh, or up on the balls of their feet. Their calves are all tight and then they'll jump in a car and drive home for an hour and then they never stretch or do any of that kind of stuff. So we see a huge number of girls that have, um, you know, ankle, you know, uh, mobility issues. So, you know, if you're thinking long term, it's got to be, okay, what is this kid going to need and how can I keep this kid interested in the training process long term so that they then come back in their next, you know, off season for something a little more intense and we can then start to layer things on top of it. Um, so it, it's, it's sometimes tricky and we also have to balance what they're doing at school or with their club. So, 
if we have a school that, you know, for a kid that, that has a program at school, I'm not going to have the kid do the same stuff with us that they're doing at school. So we have to find out, okay, what are you doing outside of here? And now we have to supplement it with the things that you're not doing and not overtrain you at the same time. So the, the model is, the model's a little bit different all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, I like nothing more than NFL combine prep because I get guys to come. They're, they're going to be with me for eight to 12 weeks. They're not doing anything else. They're not training with anybody else. I get to do everything. I get their nutrition and um, I get to, you know, basically control every part of their lives for that period of time. And it's fantastic, you know, from a training standpoint, but, most people like that's just not realistic it's not how it's going to be yeah yeah I, I love the word you use there you know practical training because I, I know from working at boil too that was the same thing and that you get these athletes coming in and it's just like you know they come in and you're like is that muck on your leg and like yeah i just came from soccer practice like, oh all the time yeah yeah and, and like this because this is new to me like because this is this is the model in ireland at all even though the, the Irish model is effective too, it's, it's year-round sport as well, so we don't have great opportunities to do a you know proper S and C either. But um, but like there, there there's no like in Ireland, it's not like in America where like if you said to an Irish kid, oh you're also going to go to a strength conditioning session the same day you play hurling, like the parents are like no. Uh, <laughs> where where in America it's just like oh yeah, a kid like you know they go from lacrosse to soccer, then they go to boils, it's just like. Okay, yeah, just a kid or a child when out there. But uh, <laughs> but like the kids would come in like and like uh, you know parents would be like yeah so I want the, you know this that and we'd be like yeah yeah that's what we're gonna do. I think one good thing about boys is he never let the parents into the gym like he's like they had to stay outside so that they wouldn't be like following you around like that. But like the athletes would be like so am I conditioned? I'd be like no. Like Mike be like in season athletes no conditioning like so we were often like mitigate their stress an awful lot. Um, and that's really what we are as stress managers, but like it's 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 unreal though. Like some of the load we're putting on some of those yeah, young athletes. But I, I really like that term you, you did use. But you mentioned the combining. And that's, that's something I'll definitely get touch on maybe another time. Um, but it, it, let's hypothet- hypothetically say you did have an athlete and you could do what you want with them for a long term. I don't. Know, let's just say like they're. They just never had to go to school, <laughs> or let's, let's say, let's say they just all they do is school, and they just they're just a one sport athlete, and they can fit it yeah. into their schedule. And you, you were gonna, this person says, right, I, I want like you, you have me like you can slow cook me. Like, how in your mind would that would that look? Yeah, I mean, we would start off with the younger kids. We would be doing more like exploration stuff and including games, teaching them how their bodies move and how their bodies work. So we do teach mechanics to kids at a young age, but we do it in a very different way. You know, we don't sit there and yeah, we don't talk, we we don't turn them into robots. We just, we, we talk about like how, you know, a knee drive is going to help them and how, you know, running on the balls of their feet, uh, you know, those are your power pads, not, you know, like you have to have your ankle dorsiflexed and stuff like that. Kids don't want to hear that kind of crap. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, you know, we, we try to keep it up tempo. We try to keep it only a, only maybe twice a week for those kids because they have to enjoy the training process. Well, when well, what age, sorry, what age, like do you chuck them into like, you know, 8, uh, 12, 12, 15, 15, 18? Would it be along those lines or? 
Yeah, so our youth program is is eight to eleven, okay. and then uh, and then from twelve and up, we do more of an individualized program depending okay. on their needs. But each age group is going to have something different. So a a twelve year old, a twelve or thirteen year old strength training program is going to be fairly basic. They're going to learn how to do things. They're going to learn um, how to move uh, their bodies, and they're going to also learn about progression. Kids just you know even high school kids they don't even get what progression means you know so they they just think they're supposed to do whatever's on the sheet or uh you know do as much as they can each time and they don't get that they're supposed to be constantly challenging themselves and so just teaching them that kind of stuff is is a big part of the program once they would get you know um they'd get through the youth program then you know it's more body weight and game play kind of stuff. Then they'd go into more of an intermediate program, which is is slightly more structured but not super super intense. And uh, then they would move up into a more advanced program as they get a little bit older. And usually, kids that are 13 to 18 years old, if they've done some kind of training, um, the program would be about 45 to 60 minutes of speed and power work, and then another uh, 30 to 30 to 60 minutes of strength training, depending on the sport and the, and the athlete. So a lot of athletes are with us an hour and a half to two hours, two to three times a week. If it was a kid who was in an off-season setting, yeah. they may be with us three or even four times a week if they're a little bit older. Um, during a season, they're going to only be with us one or two times a week. But we want to try to at least maintain, if not continue to, to build on some things during the season. And then when their season is done, um, then we're able to kind of ramp things back up again and, and get back into more of a, uh, like, a you know, making progress rather than trying to just kind of maintain. And typically, how long would, would those blocks of training last? Would it be eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks? What's the longest you'd ever usually get maybe with Matt Leaf? Like, so, like, I know Boyles, they, they run, like, 10-week blocks, you know, with the fall, winter, summer. Like, how do you do it in your facility in terms of, like, blocks? Yeah, so our our bigger seasons of business are summer and winter because everybody's getting ready for fall and spring sports. Mm. So our summer block has kind of gotten condensed and it's usually a six to eight week block. And then our winter can be a little bit longer because some kids will start in November or December and they don't have to compete in or start their season till March. Okay. So we sometimes will get a large, a longer block, but you know, going back to the whole practical thing, we'll get kids who will come in in February and say, Hey, I want to get ready for my season. And it starts in four weeks. Okay. You know, like I, I don't want to tell kids like, okay, we're not going to help you because you didn't yeah, come at the right yeah, time. We're still going to help you, but this program is going to be very different now at this point than it would have been if you started back in November. So we can, to me, you know, the, the longer it takes to get results, the longer they're going to probably stick with the kid through the season. Whereas if you can, if you get results super fast, you know, like you get a kid in really great shape, um, you know, in three weeks, well, you know, the detraining period is going to kind of, kind of, you know, fall on them really quickly yeah. because they just haven't been, you know, they haven't been in shape long enough to kind of sustain it. Yeah, they didn't accumulate that fitness over a long period of time, so the, the, the decay effect is quite fast. Exactly. But, uh, let's say over that, say, let's say if it was someone getting ready for a spring sport and you had 12 or 16 weeks or whatever it would be, say 10 to 12 or maybe even 16 weeks, do in terms of, and let's say they're ex, like they're experienced-ish mm-hmm. sort of athlete, you know, they're not a brand new, they're not brand new. In terms of like, and if you want to call it periodization, of people are up in terms of semantics, but would you would you generally go from higher volume, more accumulation type work to more 
lower volume intensification work as the athlete progresses towards their, their season. I know it's going to be a little bit con con context specific too, but in terms of even like sort of mesocycle to mesocycle, again, if you want to use those terms, and even then over maybe the career of the athlete, would you kind of go from these more higher volumes uh, to, to uh, and less intensive sort of training stimulus to more intensive training stimulus and lower type volumes? So in, yeah. in sort of macro and micro scale, if you're looking at athletic development. Yeah, so we typically would begin with more, like you said, like a higher volume like kind of a work capacity. capacity. Yeah. yeah, exactly, to kind of build things up. But during that time, what's tricky is that that's also usually the time that we're we're working on mechanics at the beginning of each session or doing some sort of a like a power or speed kind of thing. So we always have to put that in first while they're not fatigued and then fatigue them at the end you know, so that then they can go home and crash on the couch or whatever they need to do. Mm. But um, – that will then typically build into more of a uh, an intense strength training program. We typically will do more of a concurrent training program where okay. we're not – we usually pick more than one quality that we're going to try to improve at a time. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I don't, I don't have kids on an Olympic cycle where I can spend six months only working on yeah. – you know their squat. I it's, think it's, I think I think most coaches run a concurrent program. Like I definitely yeah. like development setting. So very like kind of like Charlie Francis versus integration. Like or Al said it best. Al's like keep a thread of everything in your program. You just you just emphasize one particular uh, yeah. quality or physical capacity, and you either maintain or you, you maintain the other qualities, or else you're introducing other qualities. If it was a beginner, you maybe introducing other qualities while you're emphasizing one quality. But most people you're emphasizing the quality while you're retaining the others. Yeah. And and a lot of that comes from our assessment of them and what yeah. their goals are and yeah. it, especially if we know the kids. You know, if I get a you know, a 16-year-old hockey player that's going to go play juniors and he's got say 3 or 4 months to train and I realize this kid's really fast on the ice but he's small and skinny and gets pushed around, well we're probably going to be more of a strength and a and a mass building yeah. program with yeah. that kid versus that. the kid who comes yeah. in that's huge but is out of shape and can't control his own body. Yeah. Now we're I'm not so worried about his strength levels, that's going to be fine. We're going to put more emphasis on maybe conditioning or his ability to move or whatever that might be. Yeah, yeah, great stuff. So be, before we get into just the IYCA and I won't go too much longer, I'll tell you what I do. I'm definitely going to get you back on because there's lots of things I want to talk about, like uh, your thoughts on Olympic victories. And I remember we used to have some great discussion on strength coach and you were like you yeah. know, many roads to Rome there. Um, there was a great thread one time about that and then you, were, you showed many different, many methods you like to use for power development. Now, I know power has many subcategories, you know, so power is a bit of a catch-all term. But, you know, things like rate of force development and then if we're talking about strength speed versus speed strength and versus where power or velocity and force meet. So it's definitely something I like to talk about. And then combine bitter stuff I want to talk about. But uh, there was IOICA. I was going to say that's for the IOICA there. Now it's kind of escaping. What was I going to say just for IOICA there? That was in my mind and now it just went... But anyway, we can talk about the IOCA and hopefully that question will come back to me. So you, you took over the IYCA, the International Youth Finish Association. Maybe just touch on how that came about and what are your hopes and aspirations for it? Um, well, the way it came about was just kind of through my involvement with them over the course of a few years. And then it was just kind of the right time. Um, there was kind of a shift in, in the, the leadership uh, at the time and a little bit of a void for a while. Um, and you know, some of the guys came and, and said, Hey, you know, we think that you should take this o over. And, uh, it was a big commitment on my part, but, mm. um, it's been, it's been awesome. My, 
my, my vision for it is to essentially, um, you know, all, all the things we're talking about, like have a platform for, for this kind of stuff. I think that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are talking about, um, elite training methods, if you will, or, um, there's maybe like business coaches or, um, you know, there's different, like maybe, you know, niches or niches, however you want to pronounce it. Um, but uh, what I like to, what I like to say is that the IYCA kind of stands right at the intersection of three important areas. And those areas are scientific training methods, coaching or uh, the psychological uh, component to to working with athletes and then also the business development side of things and all of those all three of those things kind of interact together in in perfect harmony and I kind of I see that that's where the IYCA stands so um, I, I'm, I'm all about you know trying to help coaches make an impact on kids lives and talking about that and um, I'm, I'm really proud to to see that more and more coaches are now kind of buying into that philosophy that it's not just training. It's about, you know, making a difference in kids' lives. And, um, if we can help educate coaches and trainers to be better at what they're doing so that they can go out there and make a difference in kids' lives, then, you know, then, then that's what, that's what this is all about. I, I, at least in America, but I think across the globe, sports mm-hmm. has turned into, uh, an adult centered, um, business, if you will. It's, it's, you know, and I think that our mission is kind of to give training back to kids and and do it in a way that is right for the kids, not so much just for you know an adult's ego to say you know I I coached this guy or I did this and you know it's it's more about what's what's right for the kids and and thinking long term, thinking safety, you know, kind of all the things that we just talked about. Um, you know, I, I realized when I had this opportunity to take this on with the IYCA that. You know, I now have a I now have a platform to to kind of spread this message, um, you know, and and make youth sports what it what I think it's mainly mainly supposed to be about. You know, it's it's funny because like to me the IOSA has been around for so long. It was actually one of the first certifications I took. Like this is when Brian was was you know yeah. was the founder of it. So I've taken level one and level two, and I, I awesome. actually I used to be back on the old form. This be an old form where it was like twenty dollars a month, exactly like strengthcoach.com, same platform, same stuff. Yeah. And Doctor Brown used to be on it. Yeah, Kwame. Um, yeah, Kwame Brown, and yeah, I've got I've got all those DVDs from level one, and I have to I was I was going to grab the level two buckets up there, but uh, I always found it um, an amazing resource, and I guess disappointed would be the word surprise. I'm kind of surprised it hasn't gotten bigger because like like there was events put on and it was it was really big some brilliant products were on it there and like i just thought geez i like at the time i was like this is going to explode and then i heard when brian went away i was kind of like oh, what's kind of going on now and did you think oh from brian or was there someone else in between you and brian Love yeah there were people there were people in between um and what's funny is that uh i've never met brian in person um and Kwame Brown uh, and some of the people that were involved a long time ago uh, got back with me as soon as I as soon as I announced it okay. and um, and we're like hey we you know here's what we want to do we, we you know we want to come back now I think um, you know I, I don't know I don't, I don't know exactly what happened with it um, or, or, or with the whole movement if you will but uh, 
so many people have come back and, yeah, and con- like, like contacted Lee me. Lee and Will, they were all about, I remember Lee was there the early days and yeah. putting on the seminars. Chris Moore was doing the nutrition. Even Bill Hartman's actually in that textbook. Like, just like, yeah. That textbook is great. The level two one is really, really good. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's like, it's just for listeners, I always say it's a fantastic resource. And you do have a membership website. There's there's a newer one now, isn't there? The inner inner circle, is it there? Yeah, the insiders, which is probably you know, I, I didn't create that. I kind of inherited that, and yeah, uh, it's yeah. it's like you said, it's you know, it's a it's an inner circle kind of thing that uh, we get to do a lot of interaction with with those people, and it's uh, it's pretty cool. So just there, there's a level one, and obviously is there a level three? Um, there's not a level three, but there is. Uh, the, there's the speed certification that is, mm-hmm. it's awesome. Um, if you know, uh, maybe I can make sure you get that. And then our high school strength and conditioning uh, certification just got upgraded because we just put oh, out wow. a new a new book called Principles of Athletic Strength and I heard Conditioning. Some, heard some of that. I've actually seen people buy that and say it's amazing. Like I've seen people put pictures up on it on the old social media and they're saying that this is an amazing textbook. And the great thing is you've made it available for people just to buy. Like, you know, the way some things, you know, you have to do our course and you, you get the textbooks. Like, it's really like, because Precision Nutrition's te- textbook for nutrition is unreal, which you'll only get if you sign up for the course. Like, so many people keep saying, can I just buy a textbook? No. <laughs> which, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, I've heard great things about that textbook so far at the new one, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the idea was to get a lot of different strength coaches together to share philosophies and, and to kind of create um, – uh, a book that could be used as a textbook. It could be used as a you know a resource to go back to. And my God, the the people that have contributed to that book are are it's it's pretty unreal. Like how many there's Division One strength coaches and NFL guys and mm-hmm. um, PhDs and physical therapists. It's it's a pretty awesome book. And that is now uh, that is now a part of the high school certification. Which uh, you know the the high school certification. When I first took this over, I thought. I, you know, I looked through the material and thought, yeah, this is, you know, this is okay, but it's not, um, it's not thorough enough for what is happening in high schools yeah, now. Yeah. So adding this complete textbook makes it, uh, it makes it a really pretty awesome, thorough course. Uh, and with IYCA, um, like in terms of the website, like do, do you see it branching out into maybe things like, you know, monthly webinars, and is there going to be conferences now yearly? I know, I know Brian did did some like events, and I think you guys you guys did do an event. Um, are you gonna like? Are you gonna just have that annual, or are you gonna do biannual? Are you gonna do different states? Are you gonna even maybe go international? Like at least sort of like maybe some ideas, uh, uh in the back of your mind, like longer term things. Um, would you um, would you ever think about maybe hooking up with people like uh, I know Lloyd and John Oliver. You know, they do they're the UK based guys. Um, and, and even Mike Young's done a lot with long-term athletic development. So, like, are you thinking more international then, and, and say with a members platform where it's like you know monthly webinars and presentations and maybe more on online resources? So you're nodding there with big smiles and the eyes wide open. So I, you're kind of like, yes, yes, you're letting all the fucking birds out of the cage. <laughs> I think you've been reading my notebook here for some reason, Robbie. Yeah, I mean we've got so many big plans, and uh, it's it's. It, it's that's what's amazing is there's so many cool things that are on the horizon yeah, and yeah. frustrating to me is that um i, I want to do them all at once but you know our team kind of has to do one thing at a time and exactly, it's exactly. it's you know it's kind of slow trekking a little bit but yes um we did our first uh summit this past year in detroit and it was it was outstanding i mean people yeah, were yeah. coming up to me saying 
oh my god, it's back! Like the IYCA is back. This is unbelievable. Um, Perform Better came and hosted our uh, 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 like our social thing, and um, Chris Poirier was like, "Oh my god! Like how'd you do this? This is um this is unbelievable!" Like th- from, there's from, a lot from, of- from the Summit Man himself, like he's the godfather of putting on my big summits. Yeah, just, just just for international people who don't know Chris Poirier, he's the guy behind Perform Better. He's and he's an awesome guy, and so Great when guy. he said. And he said that I thought, okay, you know, we're on to something. So, yeah, yeah. um, I'm now, we're, we're going to do another summit here in Detroit, um, in April, but we've got plans to, nice. we're trying to put one together out in LA, um, sometime in the winter. Um, I have been talking to people from, uh, the UK, South Africa, Australia, wow. and China to do, um, to do stuff over amazing. there in, in all those countries. Fair play to you. That's, that's amazing. I mean, because uh, just for listeners, go back to what we spoke about earlier on, family and work-life balance. And I mean, that's great ambition. And I, I, if I was wearing a hat, I'd tip it. I'd say, hats off to you, sir. <laughs> uh, that's amazing, though, because th- that is what what the what the industry or the profession, industry, Vern Competitive Matt, I call it industry one name, Vern, slap me in the wrist, it's a profession. Uh, but that is what the profession needs going forward, you know. So it's, it's amazing to hear that. Um, and the uh, sorry, the question I was going to ask earlier on was to do with acceleration, but I tell you what, I'm going to leave acceleration because I want to get you back on because we talk about acceleration and combine and maybe some power training methods as a separate thing. Um, there was something else I was going to say there was there about the OCA, but anyway, that, that's fantastic. It's great to hear that news. Um, but wrapping up, right? Let's wrap up with a few little shorter questions because uh, you probably. Be, yeah, we need to, you know, I need to eat. You probably need to go to the, to- the toilet. We're, 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 I, was, I was telling Jim beforehand, if you need to just hop up and go for the toilet, it's just like go. Um, but uh, just we'll get into maybe some lessons, mistakes, learned advice for the for the listeners. And, uh, oh, on our next podcast, I want to talk about business. So I know you're a big man on the entrepreneur spirit, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's obviously, that's obviously a big driving factor to IOCA that, you know, that, you know that, that, that there is a business aspect and obviously owning your own facility. But so let's let's wrap up with mistakes, lessons learned, um, and then I'm going to ask you the final question about the five people you'd like to invite to dinner, dead or alive, if you could. So we'll uh, we'll start Ooh, off with uh, about that question. Yeah. So just maybe some of the I know you alluded to some mistakes here on your but maybe just maybe and uh, mistakes is a is a rough word, but lessons I suppose. You know, what are the biggest lessons you've learned over over your career and life so far? Um. Well, you know, we kind of talked about it already that uh, I've learned that it's not about me. And, um, you know, it's about the athlete. And I think that, you know, the sooner young coaches can, can understand that, um, the better. Unfortunately, I think with, uh, the way things have gone with social media and everybody trying to create a brand for themselves, um, people are less focused on being great coaches these days and more about like putting out the persona, you know, that, the, the image that they're, that, you know, of what they're doing and, um, you know, I think that the sooner people can realize that it's not, it's not so much about them. It's, it's about the athletes. I think that that would really help. And something else that I really learned is that not, you know, not everybody's going to train with me and I'm not the right fit for everybody. And, you know, early on I thought, right, everybody's got to train with me because I'm the best and I'll help them the most. And, um, when I see people, you know, go and train somewhere else, I realize, you know what, if they are attracted to that, then they're not going to like me or not. Yeah. They're not going to like what I'm doing anyway. So go, you know, go do your thing because there's, you know, there's, there's a million athletes out there. There's a million people to train. Um, you know, I, I don't get, 
I don't get so bogged down with uh, that scarcity mentality anymore of, of thinking like, oh, everybody should be training with me. Yeah, it's just, just uh, sorry to interrupt you, but just one no, in, in my head. That's why when people say, oh, the fitness industry is coming saturated, like, okay, to an extent, that's probably true to, to a little bit of an extent. But again, we're, we're such a small, we're like one profession of like some professions in the world. Um, but the other thing is too, like, the, the, like that's a bit of so what the, the point I'm trying to make is a lot of people don't don't want to become a coach because ah oh, everyone's hoping still is get a coach and one of the best things that was ever said to me was a guy called Sean McGarrity and he said to me people don't buy products they buy people mm-hmm. so he's like he's like he, he used to be car sales car salesman and he said people will come to me and they buy a car that they saw the exact same car and another and another ownership for the exact same money or even a little bit less but yet they bought it from me because they just like me more. So it's the same, obviously, there you were saying with athletes. Like some coach comes to you and she's like, we're not a good fit. You know what I mean? Whereas other athletes would be like, so just that scarcity. So it's not a scarcity mentality. But like, listen, there's a whole, there's thousands of not millions of other athletes. Uh, well, maybe not athletes, but there's thousands of other people out there who will be a good fit in terms of that human connection level of me. So I'm not worried about if someone, you know, if we're just not on a personal level. It is more, it shows more integrity and being genuine to say, listen, I think you'd be better suited to maybe this coach or that coach or, this this mm-hmm. mode this mode of training CrossFit uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean you can't you know if, if people are into doing that kind of stuff I have to just realize that okay you know go do it because you're not going to like what I'm doing if that yeah, uh, yeah. if that's you know if that's what it, it, it you're attracted to right now I think that's great so Jim your your top uh, advice to the listeners and I suppose we touched a little bit on about the work life balance but. With the advice, it can be anything, like not just training, even a little bit of business advice. So we can maybe speak about that in another podcast. But what would be your, your top advice right now, currently, to anyone listening? To anyone listening, um, I, I think something that I tell young coaches a lot these days is, you know, try not to try not to compare what you see on the outside of people to what's on the inside of you, Beautiful. because. People, you know, everything is social media now and that's where you, you know, that's where you think that, that that's the truth. And, you know, you might, what you see on somebody's outside might not be what's going on behind their, you know, their doors. And, uh, you know, I, I forget who said it, you know, if, if everybody wrote their biggest problems down on a piece of paper and threw them onto the table, it wouldn't be long before you were, you know, and you're going to share them, you're going to pick somebody else's up. It wouldn't be long before you were looking for your own card to get it back again when you see what other people are dealing with behind yeah. closed doors. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to post on social media, you know, when I'm having a hard time getting my kids to do their homework or, um, you know, when I have to wash the dishes and, you know, and do the laundry, you know, that's like, that's boring mundane stuff. But, um, I think people get caught up thinking, you know, you know, I'm at home doing this and I don't have time for this. That's what we all do. You know, like just because we're posting, you know, that we're doing this or we're doing that doesn't mean that we're not all normal and we've all got stuff to deal with. So, you know, stick to your, stick to your, your plan and, and try to stay on the path that you think is the right one for you because, um, you don't know what other people are going through. Yeah. So it's, uh, one of my mentors now is indirect. I, I never got a chance to meet these two guys, and they only one one passed away this year, one passed away last year. Joseph Shelton Pierce is a guy I always mention, and Jock Fresco, another guy, huge influences on me. But they both made me appreciate that everyone is the way they are for a reason. Like there's so many yeah. environmental factors and experiential factors that that have led people to be who they are at any given moment in time. And 
you know, people are the way they are for both chronic and acute factors. So chronic factors would be things like your upbringing, developmental conditioning, you know, environmental factors within the womb when your mother was pregnant, to how you were raised as a child, to school, to society, to culture. Whereas acute factors are all like your blood sugar regulation, did you sleep last night, maybe you're being an asshole because you're hungover. Like so many factors give, you know, like you can, like you can be, you're a completely dynamic organism that's always in flux from moment to moment. So becoming to, getting an appreciation, awareness that everyone is over there for a reason, that also includes you, is, is a very important aspect in human communication and understanding. Um, and, and another, uh, you were talking about the table there, putting things on the table. I had Dr. Ken Kanakin, who, who's the guy who runs the Swiss, the Swiss uh, Symposium up in Canada. Great guy. Like that podcast was amazing. I love that one. Mm. So, and Dr. Ken was telling me about like this advertisement that used to be on TV where, yeah, it, I think it was like, it was like a mental, I don't know if it was like a mental health awareness advertisement, but he's just like, somebody's walking along and like, let's say me and you are walking on the road and I bang into you and I'm like, what's where you're going? And then you're thinking, whoa, what an asshole. But then, like he was saying in the ad, there was like these air bubbles over their head, and it would say, like maybe it says over my head, "Just found out I've got cancer," or "Just yeah. my, my my father died," or something like that. You know what I mean? And so he's basically saying, like, if people actually knew what was going on behind the veil, like he's like, we probably have very different perceptions and understandings. And there's a great story actually in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey about that. I don't know if you've read that book where the gentleman's mm -hmm. on, the, on the train and his kids are going mad and then Stephen Covey's like, everyone's getting really pissed off. So Stephen Covey goes up to the circuit to you control your kids? And like your man's zoned out of it. He goes, oh, sorry, we just came from the hospital. I found out my, or my, my wife just passed away and the kids don't know what's going on. I don't know where I'm And Stephen Covey's like, okay, yes, uh, continue on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it just goes to show. So, uh, so, and by the way, I remember what I was going to say. What I was going to say, so just, I forgot two things you said. So the first thing was the acceleration, which I forgot and I remember. We'll do that next show. And the other thing I made note here was child physiology. Just with the IOICA, I think as well, there's such poor information out there on youth uh, conditioning or strength conditioning for youth athletes because there's very little understood about, like, the physiology of kids, you know, their bodies. Because so, one thing Brian always used to say was kids aren't small adults. So stop yeah. trying to yeah. stop trying to take adult programs and condense it into kids. So I definitely think with the IYCA, IYCA, I'm saying that briefly, IYCA uh, going forward, me personally, like as, as somebody who would invest in the IYCA, I would love, because I'm a nerd, I'd love more maybe of modules on that kind of science. It's like, mm. So when Dr. Brown was kind of, he kind of touched on all of that. But so more so about the, the growth process of kids, because actually it is a fairly there isn't actually a lot of good science out there. Because ballet had like those windows of opportunity. People were like, well, we don't really know about that. Like peak height, peak growth velocity spurts. And there's still very like you know there's not like a lot of hard evidence on some of those things. But I definitely think child physiology. If if coaches had the same education in like adults fully grown human physiology to child physiology, I think they wouldn't feel as threatened or as unaware. Like, oh, what can I do with this kid? I don't really know. Yeah, so, that'd be something. So, G Jim, uh, wrapping up anyway. Um, the mistakes and advice. Lastly, is your top resources, and then we'll have the dinner question. So, what are your top resources? And these can be anything. So, if you want to give a training one, a uh, business one, a nutritious one, uh, or just one global one, a spiritual one, a personal development one, whatever it is. You just want one resource? What? No, no. It can be one for multiple areas, or it can be okay. whatever you want. Um, you know, it seems like uh. I, I've writ, I've read and listened to so much training-related information, and I'm sure that a lot of the people on here, um, that's you know what they talk about all the time too. So I'm going to go kind of in a little different direction, and I, um, I actually 
get into a lot of more like business type um, podcasts and, and resources. Um, there's some amazing people out there like, I don't know if you heard of Pat Flynn mm-hmm. or Amy Port- Amy Porterfield, mm-hmm. Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, Gary Gary V's book Crush It is fantastic and I think anybody in this in this uh profession um should uh, should read you, Crush It. Have you listened to Crush It? I have. Uh, it's, it's so funny. It's funny. Just, oh, yeah. it's so funny. Cuz you can hear him. But he goes off script so many times and in one part of the book where he goes I keep getting told not to go off script but fuck it it's my book. And he's <laughs> so it's so funny. Yeah, he's fantastic and I I just think Kevin those kind of influences um from outside of our profession gets you to think of things in a little bit different way. So that's kind of what I go to on a, on a more consistent basis because I feel like I'm, I'm talking about training all the time. I need to kind of get out of that a little bit. No, that's great. That's great. And then finally, okay, uh, yourself and yourself, we're going, we're going to dinner uh, and there's five available spots. Okay. We'll say that we'll say your wife can come. There's still five because the partners come, you know, you, you and your wife okay. are, will say you're one. Uh, I'm going along just because I want to go. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, so we're we're at dinner, and and Jim, I say, you can bring five people, dead or alive, to dinner. Who you bringing, and and why you bringing those five individuals? All right, so I had trouble narrowing it down to five as I started making my list, but um, I, I know I know the first two. Uh, I'm going to bring Jesus Christ. Okay, because I think it would be. I mean, like, who wouldn't want to? You know, see, see what he was actually like. Let's see if you can uh, actually turn that water into wine. All right, go for it. Exactly. You know, and, and it, I wouldn't even be worried about that as much as just I. I feel like you'd feel something, you know, from him, and how amazing that would be. Um, somebody that's always been kind of an idol of mine is George Washington. So yeah. I'd want to bring. Yeah, I'd want I like George it. there. I like it. Um, I would bring. Uh, I'd bring John Wooden. Nice. The famous basketball coach. This is a good um, lineup. Uh, uh, yeah, and uh, I would I would want to bring probably I've been fascinated with um, American Indian history, so uh, I had trouble narrowing it down. But one of the famous Indian chiefs, so either Sitting Bull, Cochise, or Red Cloud, I think it would be incredible if they could, you know, if I could communicate with them. It's funny you said I, it's funny you said Sitting Bull because I only just watched Cam Burns the West, so Sitting Bull I, I'm aware of who he is. Yeah, so that would be amazing. And then the last person um, would not so much fit into the crowd, but I think bringing Jimi Hendrix back from the dead to this dinner would be outstanding because I think that guy could have done a lot of other things and just never, you know, never got to complete it all. So bringing him to dinner would be pretty fun too. Holy shit! So we had we, <laughs> we, we had we had Jesus Christ, George Washington, John Wooden. Uh, then we had, who was, oh, we had uh, an Indian chief, yeah, so yep. sitting bull and two other chiefs that I actually haven't heard of. So, and then we had Jimi Hendrix. Who were the two other chiefs? Say them again. Um, so I thought of sitting bull Cochise, who was a like a warrior kind of guy, and then uh, Red Cloud, wow. another one um, who was pretty pretty famous during a lot of that. Yeah, be, that'd be fun. That'd be a fun dinner. With uh, who, who was the the American? Was it? Was it Cluster or Custer? Custer did he? He was involved in some of that yeah, moving the Indians and all that. Yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Custer's last stand, and then yeah. you know some of our some of the people that were involved at that time um, in our in the American government weren't uh, uh. weren't very 
uh, very nice to uh, yeah. to yeah. our broke, American broke Indians. Broke all those agreements. So they did. Oh yeah. Oh. Uh, so it was close. What what was that called again though? The the march wasn't it? There was the march. But remember, what is that famous one uh, called? The um, was it the March of Tears? The and march then, of Tears, uh, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then what was the famous battle called again? I mean, there were a, there were a lot of them. Are you thinking of uh, Custer's last, last stand? stand? Yeah. Was there another yeah. one though? Was there another that? So I'll have to go back and watch that documentary series again. It's unreal. Gosh, the the yeah. West, the, all Ken Burns and stuff is amazing. His documentaries. Oh yeah. They're just so detailed. But that's amazing, Jim. That's absolutely amazing. Listen, we've been online so long, and I am famished. I'm going to eat my hand if I don't get some decent. <laughs> Yeah, I can't believe we talked this long, but uh, but it was fun. You might have to split this up into a couple of episodes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, it's great. Well, listen, here, just let you know, I, I've interviewed Pat Davidson. Uh, do you know Pat Davidson? Like yeah. He, uh, by the way, he, he has some great thoughts on, on uh, Long From Legs Down. And I've interviewed Jane Smith, and, Price, and Jane, I've gone three over three hours with Jane Smith, and I've gone close to three hours with Pat. So I'm used to American sessions like this. Okay. But I usually All split right. them up. Like two hours, I'm, I'm, I'm usually used to when we're on an hour and almost 40 there now so I know it says 45 but that was pre pre-call so yeah. listen I'm going to wrap this up Jim will say goodbye to you then offline so guys I'm definitely going to have uh, Jim back on the podcast without question because there's stuff I want to talk to him about uh, I want to definitely get into more of, of his training based methods uh, talk a little bit about his, his speed development he did a great presentation on the complete uh, speed power summit on acceleration really good stuff uh, speak about some of his power methods strength methods Maybe get a little bit into conditioning. Uh, definitely want to talk more about business stuff with you too. Um, and that would probably be a lot of topics we'll touch on the next one if, if you'd be kind enough to come back on again. Let's um, do it. Yeah, absolutely. So, guys, as I always say at the end of every show, I'll talk to everyone soon. Take care, be well, and stay strong. Mm-hmm.